All-Stars and the Jazz continue to win. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga. George Sedano of ESPN. You're going to catch him today on The Jump, the Friday edition. ESPN LA, sidelines on ESPN. George Sedano, return guest on Round Ball Roundup. But first, let's get the quick takes out before we get into everything else with George, who is putting the Jazz up there as the main contender with the Lakers in the Western Conference. Very encouraging when you hear it from someone who sees the Clips and the Lakers on a day-to-day basis. I'm here for it. I see what the Jazz do in their point differential, and I continue to believe, oh my, maybe this team might be a little bit good. It's kind of been a running gag with the social media manager of the team, Angie Treasure, where we're talking after every single game, Jazz might be good. I think the Jazz might be good. And it's because of what Rudy and Donovan are doing. You know, Wednesday might be the best encapsulation and the best prescription for what Utah can do come playoff time, where there are just too many players and offensive guys to stop. Not one player goes over 20. You have six Jazz men go in double digits. I don't care where you started on the Jordan Clarkson experience, but where you're finishing is really enjoying his game. He's a microwave. He can score at all levels. And you need him to do that. The other thing that many may not be paying attention to is how improved Rudy and Donovan are. There's a reason why they're lock all-stars. Why it wasn't even a question for them to be joining the showcase. Donovan showed on Monday against the Charlotte Hornets how improved he is as a playmaker. He went pick and roll with Derek Favors and just bounced it between two Charlotte defenders for the hoop. And then Wednesday, he's flirting with a triple-double. Mike flirting with a triple-double. And I, I guess we need to get to that as well. He is not selected to be an all-star in a season where he could have made it over Chris Paul and Devin Booker. If you look at the advanced numbers into Raptor over at 538, in the plus-minus, Mike Conley makes it over the Suns. Well, that's just not how he's picked. And it was the coaches that voted for the reserves. And Adam Silver picked Booker to replace Anthony Davis. You have to go back to my Monday take, where it's you're more recognized as the best player never to make an all-star team and known in the history books. He's put up fine counting stats, 16 Six assists on 45% shooting, 42% from three. This is the Oscars, where your favorite movie may not win the ultimate trophy, may not be the best picture, unless you're a big fan of the artist. And I don't know how many fans of that are listening to Round Ball Roundup. Your favorite movie usually doesn't win best picture. And unfortunately, Mike Conley, who is playing amazingly offensively, but defensive metrics love him too on the advanced side as well. That might be the most under-the-radar story when it comes to the mic, is how well he's playing in the system defensively, learning how to play alongside Rudy. And they've been multiple with Gobert. They don't just sit him in drop coverage where he's way behind the screen in pick and roll. Mike's been having to fight through the screener. It's different from 
what he was experiencing in Memphis and more to those training camps that he's got in, more to the buzzword comfortability. How comfortable are you? Is Mike comfortable? How many articles did we read in the early points of the season? It was just that situation where this season may not get recognized in the All-Star game. And consider this, because we talked to Titus on one of those way back round ball roundups around the draft. Mike has never been the best player or most highly acclaimed player on any team he has been on since the seventh grade. Then he's playing with Odin, who is the number one recruit, can't miss guy for Ohio State. Best high school basketball team ever, where they're winning championship after championship. They go on a 45-game win streak in high school. He's playing there. Then he goes to Memphis, where he's playing alongside Mark Gasol, who wins Defensive Player of the Year. And now he's on the Jazz with the Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, and the budding superstar that dropped 50 in the playoffs twice, Donovan Mitchell. He has never been the most ballyhooed player on a team that he has been on since he was in seventh grade. And that flying under the radar might be the tale of his entire career. But if it leads to wins, I'm sure he doesn't care. That's what matters. Before we get to George, as always, check it out. Subscribe to the podcast. We'll do some giveaways coming up over All-Star to value you who are listening. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Help them find us out. Now, let's get to ESPN LA's George Sedano. As you caught him on the sidelines in that cream turtleneck between the Pacers and Warriors, George Sedano joins us now on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. We started off talking about the differences between Miami and Los Angeles. It's funny, now it sounds like you've been uh, talking to the Dan Levitard Show crew, calling me Hollywood Sedano all of a sudden. Um, JB, first of all, great to be with you, so thank you for having me again. Uh, the differences between Miami and L.A. are basically humidity, uh, because uh, that's really the big difference, is Miami's a subtropical uh, weather-type city, uh, based on where they are geographically, and L.A. is not. It is way further north uh, than, than Miami, so... Both places, beautiful weather. I actually, as much as I love Miami and it's just my home and it'll forever be my home, uh, I do prefer the LA weather. I prefer less humidity. Uh, I prefer the cooler nights, whereas in Miami there is no respite. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but both places have, you know, 300 days of sunshine and palm trees, which is a prerequisite for a happy Sedano family. We'll get into heat talk a little bit later. I want to start off with the jazz, obviously. Why does nobody believe in them? Is it Joe Ingles? Is it the way that Boyan Bogdanovich looks? Why is it that nobody wants to believe in this Utah Jazz team? Yeah, uh, look, I would just say this. I think that because historically in the NBA, you, you look at the champions outside of an outlier with Detroit and the Dallas Mavericks in 2011, so 04 and 11, at least in recent memory, Right. You can go back to kind of the Seattle Supersonics of the 70s with Lenny Wilkins coaching them. And most of the teams have multiple superstars. And I think that Donovan is a star and I think he can be a superstar, but I think it takes a minute to get there. Right. Um, Rudy Gobert is the best defensive player on the planet. 
you know, but Ben Wallace was that for those Detroit Pistons teams, you know? Uh, so I think that, and he didn't get the credit at the time that he gets after the fact, right? And I just think it's that. So this team, this Utah team, reminds me a little bit of those Pistons teams and a little bit of the Miami Heat team from last year, where it's kind of the sum of the parts, right? Although they have a star, you know, in this case, uh, you know, it, it was it's Donovan Mitchell for you, Jimmy Butler from Miami, right? And they have, uh, you have Rudy Gobert and Bam Adebayo, right? Where, you know, they're not household names in a lot of ways, right? Like the NBA community knows exactly who they are. The NBA community knows how, how good they are. But I think that there's just this thing about stars winning championships. And historically, because there's so much insurmountable evidence to that, that I think that's why people dismiss them. I don't think it's that they don't think that they're a good team or even a great team because they are. Um, but can they be the Pistons, right? Can they be the Heat from last year? And I think that there's just a lot of questions as to can you pull that off in the Western Conference because it's just so daunting. I exactly thought the same thing. When I saw the Heat make their finals run, I put Rudy in that BAM role where defensive big can pass. Now, Rudy's not the same amount of passer and offensive talent that Bam is, but Bam isn't the defensive presence that Rudy is, a defense unto himself. And then you have snipers around Donovan and Rudy in Boyan Bogdanovich, in Joe Ingles, in Royce O'Neal. They seem very heatish in the way that they're constructing. Could the Heat of last year replicate what they did in the Western Conference? That's the question that I think a lot of people are having when they think about this Jazz team. Right, and, and that's really just it. Um, I think in the regular season, clearly they've shown that they are great, and you know they're blowing people out, what is it, 20 games by double digits or something ridiculous like that. So we know how good they are, but the playoffs are different, right? And, and by the way, I think Quinn deserves a ton of credit here too because I've always thought he's a great coach. He is as prepared a guy as you'll come across. He, he loves the details. He's so good at it. He does remind me of Spo a lot in, in that way. Yeah. You know, like he is very creative um, and will throw wrinkles that people will be like, whoa, where, where, where'd that come from? You know, so there are a lot of similarities between those two franchises in the way that they're constructed. But yeah, I, I think that getting through the West is just really challenging. Now, look, outside of the Lakers, I can I, I think the Jazz can beat anybody. You know, I have I, I have kind of soured on the Clippers, though I do think that a Clippers-Jazz series could probably be a, a series that goes the distance. Outside of a healthy Lakers team, I think the Jazz can beat anyone. Now, again, the healthy Lakers part is not a given. And by the way, that shouldn't feel like a knock because Anthony Davis is a cheat code, okay? <laughs> he, he allows them to go small, and he's not just like a big that, is a rim runner, right? Or is just a defensive presence. He is a complete player, as complete a player as we've ever seen at that size. So, you know, when I say that, it, it's not to be dismissive of the Jazz in that regard. It's just how good Anthony Davis is when you pair him with someone of the likes of LeBron James that even at 36 years old is still ridiculously impressive. And it's why he's in the MVP race. And it's the last time we talked, I'm not going to pick against LeBron when he's in the playoffs. That's when it get, gets a little dicey for teams. But 
I talked to Noah Eagle last week about how this Jazz Clippers matchup would be really entertaining. The thing mm-hmm. that they have going for them right now is if they can avoid those two teams until the Western Conference Finals. How impactful do you think seeding is when it comes to the regular season where the Jazz could be one and then the Lakers and the Clippers would have to battle it out in the second round? Yeah, that would be huge, right? You want them to get through that battle of attrition, right? (laughs) And then you guys take whatever the leftover carnage is uh, between those two teams and hopefully, in your case, right, try to pick at that carnage. Um, I, I, I think that it's funny because while I think the Jazz and Clippers match up well, and I don't think the Jazz match up well against the Lakers, I, for whatever reason, the Clippers match up well against the Lakers. I don't know if it's just the the natural disdain for each other, right, which we don't get a lot of in today's NBA, right? You know, this was something that we saw that was prevalent for many, many years in the league where teams really disliked each other. I don't think there's as much of that right now as there's been in the recent past or even clearly in in, in way in the past, right? But uh, I, I think that the Clippers have a decent shot of knocking off the Lakers. I don't think it's, I I wouldn't favor them by any stretch of the imagination, but I I just think that a healthy Lakers team can beat anybody. Like it just, it's maybe Brooklyn could get hot. Right. And because those three guys are so impressive and all they need to do is play average defense to be able to win a series because we saw how hot they got on that West coast trip, right? They shot nearly 50% from three and Durant didn't even play. <laughs> like it was, it's just incredible to watch those particular guys play together. But uh, you know, I, I just still feel like the Lakers are the favorite as long as they're healthy, but man, with Anthony Davis at Achilles, he's going to be out at least a month. Right. And his agent, Rich Paul told our Kendrick Perkins that if it takes, you know, going right up to the playoffs, then so be it. And, you know, that that can get dicey, right? Because you're you're inserting someone who hasn't been in the mix and in the flow of things for a while. Uh, he's such a great talent that he probably can overcome it. And, of course, as you mentioned, LeBron being involved. But, honestly, I, I think that the Jazz can beat anyone outside of the Lakers in the West. And, honestly, I, I still feel like they, they've got a shot against the, the Nets, too. Like, I don't think that the Nets are necessarily – uh, a team that I would pick over the Jazz if they got to face each other in the finals. Like, I'd still have to kind of weigh my options there a little bit. They're not going to get the respect until they get the playoff success for the Jazz mm-hmm. as well. I mean, that it's just a, a fact of the league. They don't have a championship player on this team. The only championship experience is Jordan Clarkson, who didn't have a great finals when he played, but had a better playoffs with the Jazz last season. You just need to see it when it comes to the national conversation around your team before everybody starts to respect you. Look, I, I, I'm telling you, okay? I mean, this Heat team last year, I'll never forget when the playoffs started, or right before the playoffs when we were going into the bubble, right? I remember having these conversations, doing all these podcasts, these shows, right? Like going on TV, radio, everywhere, podcast, and people were like, well, what do you think of the Heat? I said, I think they can get to the finals. And people laughed me out of the room, okay? And I was like, I'm telling you, there is not a team in the East that I feel like is better than them. Like, they, they, that move for Iguodala and Crowder was a huge game changer for them. And they had the opportunity with the layoff to have Spo kind of, even though they couldn't play, 
be right on the court or practice on the court. It gave Spo months uh, to get those guys on the same page, just mentally. And when you're talking about veteran guys, right? Like I think that 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 aided the process. So people thought I was nuts, and that that was the case. So I, I've been very high on the Jazz too. Like I went on my radio show yesterday and said, forget the Clippers. The Jazz are the team that should be in the conference finals against the Lakers. And while I don't think they can beat them healthy, God forbid that there's any issues from an injury standpoint if you're a Lakers fan, because then you're really, you really can find yourself in trouble against this Jazz team because they move the ball so well. Uh, clearly, they shoot the ball as well as everyone, and that's a product of the ball movement. And I think Donovan, you know, people think I'm crazy because they feel like this is too old school. And I know in today's NBA, we want to be, you know, super progressive in our thought as far as gameplay is concerned, right? And just like, you know, the analytics overcome everything. But in a, in a playoff series, sometimes you got to junk the analytics and go with what works. Um, and, and I'm a numbers-based person. I'm a facts-based person. I believe in facts. Um, you know, I, I am very much in line with that. But I think in short sample sizes, things happen that are, you know, indescribable and unpredictable. And sometimes you just have to roll with things that you think work. And in, in basketball, I think we saw that a little bit with the Heat, right? I, we saw that last year. We saw that with that Pistons team. Man, I'll never forget, JP. I was working, you know, covering the league back then. And people were laughing the Pistons off as a challenge to that Lakers team with Shaq and Kobe and Carl Malone and Gary Payton. And then after a, a cup, after three games, everybody was like, uh-oh. And then after the fourth game, when it was 3-1, everybody was like, oh, boy, this might be the biggest upset in NBA history. So I'm telling you that while it's not commonplace, if I'm the Jazz, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the recipe that we have, and I think you, you can potentially replicate the recipe of that Pistons team and this Heat team from last year. Well, and that gets a lot of people excited around here, as I'm sure you know. How would you compare the conferences with the West and the, what the East has to offer uh, once finals time comes around? Well, I think the East is definitely far more competitive than it's been in many, many years. Now, I understand if you look at the records, um, it's not overwhelming, right? But I do think that the East is way better. I, I just think the, when you look at the East, there's been basically outside of the top three teams, um, the rest of that group has had a lot of stuff to deal with, right? So clearly Philly had some issues with COVID very early, but that got settled uh, fairly quickly. And Embiid was healthy, right? So I think that that played a huge role. I know he's missed four games, maybe five tops. They're like one and three or one and four in those games. Um, but he hasn't missed very much. You know, Brooklyn has, you know, <laughs> an incredible amount of talent at the top. And, you know, with those three guys, if one's missing, like you're still fine. Like their offensive rating, I looked this up the other day. Their offensive rating with just two of those guys, pick which whichever combination of the two, would still be record-setting, okay? And let alone when they have all three guys. So, you know, they've got so much firepower. Milwaukee is still a team that has Giannis. I know Holiday's missed some time, and they struggled when Holiday was out. But they are still a well-oiled machine in a lot of ways, even though they did drop five in a row recently. But, you know, the rest of that group, Indiana, Toronto, Miami, Boston, the teams that we thought would be in the playoff mix, 
they've dealt with so many different injuries or COVID related injuries that it's just hard to overcome that. Like think about Indiana. They traded Oladipo who was playing well for Karis Levert and they saved his life. Right. Which is the crazy part of that story. And, but he's not available. TJ Warren's not available to them. So they are not a whole group. Toronto, Kyle Lowry's been in and out of the lineup. They don't have Ibaka and Gasol anymore. They're trying to figure some, some stuff out, throw some new guys into the fold. The Knicks have been a surprise, though. I thought the Knicks could be in that seven or eight range because Tom Thibodeau's a really good coach. The Bulls are a little bit of a surprise. Charlotte is a fun team. I still think at the end of the day, Boston and Miami get in there. And uh, of that New York, Chicago, Charlotte group, two of those three will not be in that in the playoff, uh, in the top eight at least. I mean, they could be in the play-in scenario. But I, I think that Boston and Miami, Boston's dealt with the Marcus Smart injury. Kemba has not been the same at all. He didn't even start playing till mid-January, if I recall correctly. And has, hasn't really had Kemba-like games outside of a few outliers. And Jason Tatum hasn't fully recovered from COVID. You know, at times he's felt that he has been lethargic and not felt right. Jalen Brown's been incredible. And that's a team already that wasn't very deep. To begin with, you know, Danny Ainge referenced that recently, that that's kind of on him. And then, you know, Miami, because the Jazz are playing the Heat here tonight, they were ravaged by COVID. Jimmy missed three weeks. Uh, I think it was 10 or 11 games with their best player. They were literally throwing out G League guys out there for almost two weeks. And, yeah, they lost a ton of games. And now, since Jimmy's been back, they are – Several games above 500, I want to say four or five games above 500, and they're playing more at the pace we thought. And they just got Goran Dragic back. And by the way, when they got Dragic back, they lost Hero. Hero's been out for a couple of games since that Laker game. So they haven't been able to be whole yet either. So I still think we're, we're going to see the best of Miami perhaps here in the next couple of weeks once they can finally get their team together. But that's the issue with the East. And, and, Again, I, I feel like if everyone was whole, it would be similarly as strong as the West. But the West is still the superior conference, and more so when you factor in all those things I just mentioned with all with with what all those teams are dealing with. Well, and the Heat are doing what the Jazz did last year, where they're winning four games. Now that the team is whole, at least they win four games, they're losing four games, then they're back to winning four games in in fighting back into the playoff picture. Are Lakers in crisis? What was the radio show yesterday once you react to how battered they were by the Jazz, winning by 25? Oh, it, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny. Before, um, I wasn't on the radio on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday because I was traveling to do a game I did between the Warriors and Pacers for sidelines. And I was... Uh, <laughs> Before I left on Monday, that was coming off the loss to the Wizards. Yeah. And they blew that 17-point lead. And we were doing panic meter talk, right? Like, where are you on the panic meter, right? Uh, The tried and true radio panic meter conversation. And then when I got back yesterday, after losing now, you know, whatever it's been, four or five in a row, I decided to break out the leather couch because people needed it. Like, they just needed a session. And I was there to provide a session for everyone. But I I just think that everyone needs to calm down a little bit. Clearly, they have issues. Uh, They need a rim protector. There's no question about that. They banked on Anthony Davis being healthy. And it was a poor bet to this point because Marcus Gasol is not that player at this stage of his career. 
And they also need another, another shooter who can play a little defense. And they've got some guys on the roster that they can, they can move on from, the Quinn Cooks of the world, even though they like him in the locker room, Alfonso McKinney, the, those type of guys. And they can add someone like that in the buyout market. So I think people are freaking out a little bit, but it, it, uh, I think that they're just hopeful that AD will be healthy and they're being cautious with him. And honestly, it's the smart thing. I wouldn't play him until he feels right because whenever you talk about Achilles anything, and, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't sit here and give you uh, the diagnosis of Achilles tendinosis and a calf strain because he's got both those things. But I wouldn't, you know, considering how valuable he is to this roster and his history with injuries, I wouldn't mess with it. I would just let him take all the time they need. But, yeah, people are freaking out for sure. <laughs> it sounds about right. Uh, who are those names on the buyout market that people should expect the Lakers to look out for? Well, I, I, you know, it's going to be interesting, right? Because the buyout market traditionally has not yielded a ton of improvements. I can remember a few here and there. I remember I covered a Miami team with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch that added Chris Anderson, Birdman, and they went 39-3 and after they added him because they just needed someone who could be a weak side shot blocker and a rim runner and a vertical threat and a vertical spacer. And he gave them that, and they took off, and they had that 27-game win streak. But there hasn't been a ton of that. The Lakers added Markeith Morris last year, who, you know, played well in the bubble, you know, particularly in the finals. And so that paid some dividends. But for the most part, the buyout market hasn't, hasn't been a huge panacea. However, we'll have to see what the situation with Andre Drummond looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Does he get bought out? Is he traded? If he's bought out, then, you know, Brooklyn, the Lakers, those type of teams could definitely use him. And if it's that caliber of a player, that's, that's a different category, right? So if it's him, yeah, that's a, that, that's a huge improvement. Other guys you're looking at, DeMarcus Cousins, I don't think he helps the Lakers with what they need, even though there is some familiarity with him because they were helping him rehab the last couple of years. Hassan Whiteside is out there. And again, I, I'm not big on Hassan Whiteside. I think that he puts up numbers. I don't know how much he actually impacts winning. But if you're looking for just someone to throw in for 10 minutes, if AD's healthy, because you're going to play Gasol 15 to 20 at center, you're going to play AD probably 15 to 20, right? So there's really not that many minutes that, you, you know, and they probably will play Marquise Morris five, six minutes, maybe occasionally when they want to go ultra small, when AD's out, just to add more shooting on the floor. So there may be like, I don't know, 10 minutes tops a game for someone like Hassan Whiteside. So maybe he doesn't hurt you that bad. But it's not like he's playing all that well in Sacramento either. And they have the worst defense in NBA history right now with him on the team. So I, I, I don't know. Like there, there aren't a ton of options out there. And I do think Blake Griffin – will probably end up being on the buyout market. Just a matter of how much he's willing to take a discount, right? Like how much, how much he's willing to discount off what's left on his contract. Although, again, he's not a rim protector. He's barely an above-the-rim player, I think, at this stage because, you know, we all know the, the story, right? He hasn't dunked since 2019, which is just insane when you think about Blake Griffin, and he's only 31. But, you know, he could help them a little bit, I think, Again, 10 or 15 minutes here or there. But, again, historically, just not something that has been 
really beneficial for most teams. It, it, it's been at best a net neutral for a lot of teams on the buyout market. Why do people freak out when men wear turtlenecks? <laughs> it is strange, right? It, this happened to me a couple of years ago. So I, you know, I, I wore one mostly because I went somewhere. I forgot where it was originally that I wore it and on the sideline and, and people just went nuts. Like I, I took some picture. I, I like to take the pregame picture. I mean, before COVID, we used to take it as a group, right? Like myself and the broadcast team and we posted on social media and I don't remember where it was a couple of years ago that I wore the first one. It might've been Toronto because it was really cold. Yep. <laughs> and even in the building, it's cold because there's ice under that floor. And, uh, I, uh, it, it just exploded into this thing. Like people, it became like a conversation thing, like a starter, a conversation starter. So I, I then started to wear it occasionally in cold cities. And every time I busted out, right. It's like an internet, like, situation like it, it becomes like a fun thing all my colleagues get in on it the fans get in on it i don't know i i i never did i never did it for anything other than it's going to be really cold in toronto so i want to make sure i'm wearing a turtleneck because i don't want to be cold right <laughs> so and then after that i just like all right i'll lean into it a little bit whenever i'm in a cold city i'll just i'll just wear one and i started buying different colors so i i only wear them maybe once or twice maybe three times i think in one season but uh but i don't get it I don't get it, but I love it. I love the reaction, and it happened this week when I was in Indy when I busted out a ribbed uh, cream-colored turtleneck for my black suit. And, uh, and Stephen A. Smith, uh, I mean, he couldn't stop talking about it when I was uh, doing the pregame hit with him. People love uh, to see it on social media where somebody's posting the turtleneck pick. Also a good combination with the mask. Yet a good the pregame pick that you sent. That was uh, very funny to see. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was funny. It uh, it got a rise out of people. Uh, it, like my colleagues are the hilarious ones. Like you know, Clinton Yates uh, is out there to look at Sedano going back to the turtleneck. Adam Amin, who works for Fox Sports now, is now the Bulls play by play guy who worked with us. He's like, the neck is back, and I was like, what is going on here? Like this is not the reaction I expect, but I, I but I guess I should come to expect it now. To be honest with you, so. Uh, maybe I'll have to temper down the turtleneck and go a different direction. Who knows? Maybe I'll bring in like an ascot or something uh, one day and just Ooh. really change it up and freak people out. Well, I'd say we'd love to have you wearing a turtleneck here in Salt Lake, but once it's July and June finals time, yeah. won't be won't be time to wear uh, no, wear turtlenecks. No. I may not even go tie if that's the case. <laughs> you know what I mean? So who knows? But uh, listen, I look. I, I said this uh, numerous times. Uh, on radio and TV, on ESPN platforms. Man, I miss the fans. Uh, I Do you guys have fans right now? 3,000 fans. Okay, cool. Uh, I, I was in Indy, and they had 2,300. And it's just such a difference. Like, you can just, you feel it. You, you can feel it in certain moments of the game, even though there's very few of them, and they're certainly way back uh, in regards to the seating you know, far away from the court, but man, like I, I felt the difference from it. And I was, it's funny. I was watching the night before the Warriors were on a back-to-back -back before they played Indy on my game and they were playing in New York and at the garden, like it was audible on TV. Like you could hear it. And I talked to Mike Breen after the fact, and he said, Oh, it was completely different. It felt so good. And so I'm telling you, if you're listening out there, I know the players say they miss you. I'm telling you the broadcasters miss you too. Okay. Because it just creates a better atmosphere. And honestly, it, it, it feels 
bigger to us when we're doing it, when there's fans there. And it's not to say that, you know, it's not big. You're, you're doing a professional sports broadcast, right? Like it's, it's a dream job for, for all of us. But I, I just think that the fan component is something that cannot be overlooked. And I am hopeful that by that time, if the Jazz are in the finals, or the or I think they'll be in the conference finals, but uh, if they're in the conference finals and finals, uh, by then hopefully we can have even more fans in there. And Utah's always been like one of those places, man, that the fans can be heard. There is no doubt about it. Uh, it has been one of the places where I've been from a playoffs perspective and a regular season perspective where – the the fans are a force for sure. Well, hopefully when it's that time, you'll be able to come by and you'll do the Dwayne Wade no shirt underneath the blazer. No, definitely that. not that. I <laughs> no, definitely no, no. I, uh, I I listen. I am forty three years old now. I am not. Uh, I am not anywhere near in Dwayne Wade type shape. I was not a professional athlete. Maybe if you would have hit me like ten years ago, I might have been able to still pull that off. But certainly not at forty three. No, no way. Izzy no could way. do it. I, oh, Izzy is a completely different monster, though. Okay, I, Izzy has got you know he's got like a, a ten pack. Forget about six or eight. He's got like ten. That thing, his his abdominal muscles go all the way up to his chest bone. You know, past his chest bone. Uh, but uh, yeah, Izzy is a different. Izzy also has a crazy exercise and diet regimen that I am just not willing to take on because I don't know. I like food way too much. Okay. So I, I'm good. I am weighing right now what I weighed in college. The pandemic has actually been good to me oh. because, because I, uh, I have, uh, I, I took up hiking during the pandemic. Uh, I live near a bunch of hiking trails here in LA and I took up hiking and most days I do about four or five miles of hiking. And uh, I did have to buy a Theragun, though, uh, because my body was like not feeling so great, uh, you know, especially after weeks uh, in a row of doing it because I'm a, I'm, I'm a crazy person. I, was, I did it for like, no joke, like three or four straight weeks without taking a break. And all of a sudden I started to get all these pains in my hips and my back. And I'm like, I think I need to invest in one of those Theraguns. So uh, I did that and I have been uh, a lot better since. Uh, because I did throw my back out one time because I was going too hard on the hiking. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's look, I, I feel good about me, but, you know, we're all different in that regard. OK, I I know what my limitations are at 43. Israel Gutierrez may look like that when he's 83, to be honest with you. Hiking Hollywood, George Sedano of ESPN LA, The Jump, sidelines on NBA on ESPN, on Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. George, thank you so much for taking the time. JP, always a pleasure, man. Stay healthy and stay safe. We'll talk soon.